I'm fine. Take your Bible. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3, maybe for the last time for a while. Maybe. Maybe, I said. Maybe. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin in verse uh, 12. The context is Paul is speaking to Christians about the glory of God and the new covenant. He's talking about how the old covenant had glory, but that the new covenant has so much more glory that it causes the glory of the old covenant to just fade, like he didn't have glory at all. And uh, he's longing for them to come to the realization that it's all Jesus. It's just all Christ. And that Christ has consummated everything that God is and everything that God has and expressed himself to us. They had trouble. The Jews had trouble with that. They had a mindset. They had a veil. They had a mind that was hardened and a heart that was veiled. They could not see. When Paul came talking about Jesus being the end of it all, the completion of it all, they could not grasp that. They had so much invested in the concept that righteousness comes by keeping the law. They had so much invested in the concept, the mindset, that in order to be right with God, you have to do, you have to perform. And Paul shatters that when he talks about Jesus. He says in verse 12, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Boy, what hope, he says, there is in realizing that Christ is the completion and there is no more law for the believer. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses. He used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their, and here's the process, their minds were hardened. They had embraced this perspective so strongly that their mind became hardened to change. Their mind became hardened to anything outside of their paradigm. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. They still could not get past the idea that keeping the law was the means to be right with God. He says it's still there. The veil is still there. Because it is removed in Christ. They couldn't see that Christ was the answer to everything they had longed for. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the heart. So it starts with a hardened mind and results in a veiled heart. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. Verse 15, the veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now, when we, he's, ta- he's referencing here that when you turn to the Lord, you turn completely to the Lord and you turn away from everything else. You turn away from the concept that the 
way to be right with God is by keeping the law, and you turn to the reality that Christ is the completion of the law, and it's him and him alone. You can't bring the law with you. The Galatians tried that. You can't bring part of the law with you. It's turning completely from the law and turning to Christ. And that's where righteousness is found, or rightness with God. Now he says, now where the Spirit of now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, we've been talking for several months now, it seems like, about beholding the glory of God, learning where the glory of God lives, learning that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Christ and that Christ lives in us, and we can behold him here. We behold a greater glory here than anything we see in nature, anything we see in creation, because he lives in his fullness in us. And we can behold the glory of God by turning our attention to him and beholding him. As we do that, he changes us. Now, I want you to understand the reason that I've harped on this for so long. The reason I've stayed on this, obviously, because I think it's very important, but the reason I've stayed on it is I want you to become healthy. I want you to become healthy spiritually. I want you to become healthy emotionally. I want you to become healthy psychologically. I want you to become healthy every way that is possible to experience the health and the fullness of God. But I don't want you to become healthy just for health's sake. I want you to become healthy for the kingdom's sake. Peter says we've been called to all this stuff that we might declare the glory to the world, not just for its own sake. I want us to be bold in our understanding of how complete the work of Christ is in our life and not afraid to declare the goodness of God to a world that has lost its crazy mind. It is beyond me to see some of the things that people are embracing as reality. I I just scratch my head. I'm thinking, what in the world are you thinking? And there needs to be voices, not a voice, voices, declaring to that world that the goodness of God is available to be experienced in the face of Christ. I want you to have confidence in that. I want you to have boldness to be able to declare that in the world God has placed you in. I want you to have the ability to stand in the presence of God, angels, demons, or any man without a sense of fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, or inferiority. That's health. That's wholeness. 
all of those things the world uses to manipulate us and control us and to make us fearful, to get us to perform. And it's desperate for a voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. And be able to declare the goodness and the glory of God for all that it is. That's my heart for you. Now, look, I want you to, I want you to notice something here that, that's just kind of interesting to me. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. There are two things in here that I want you to see that happens. Whenever you look into a mirror, all you see is what's here. Correct? So, I think what he's describing here is a little bit more intricate than that. Because I think he's saying, see through everything to see the glory of God. It's like some, some translations use glass, some translations use like a mirror, some translations just leave it out altogether and just talk about pondering the Lord. But I think there's something deeper here that I want us to see. I think, first of all, he's saying, I want you to be able to see through all the stuff to behold the glory of God. I want you to be able to see through your mindset. I want you to be able to see through your veil. I want you to be able to see through the hardness of your mind, these perspectives that you have that are etched in stone. I want you to be able to see through that in order to see the glory of God, the goodness that's in God. And I want that veil that's in your heart that looks at God and says, God's like this. When in reality, he is a God of our own making. Well, God gets angry like this. God doesn't put up with that stuff. God's going to get you for that stuff. All of these mindsets that we carry with us, that we attribute to God, that are nothing like God. And he says, I want you to see God in his purity. I want you to see God in his goodness. I want you to see God the way he revealed himself to Moses when he said, I'm going to show you my graciousness. I'm going to show you my compassion. I'm going to show you my loving kindness. I'm going to show you that I am slow to to be angry. I want you to show you that I am quick to forgive. All of that summed up in God's goodness. And he says, I want you to be able to see through everything and behold the goodness of God without the veil, without the predetermined ideas that you have about God. Because, you see, if we don't do that, then we have our own judgment to determine what God is like. And we look at circumstances and we say, God must be like such and such because this is happening. God must be like this because he didn't do this. God must be like that because look what happened. And we attribute all kinds of, you know, catastrophes to acts of God. And that defines for us who we think God is. And that becomes hardened in our mind and veiled in our heart. And that's very important. It starts with our mind, what we believe, but it will affect our heart. That's why it's so important that Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be in light. Not just your mind, not just your thoughts. I want it to sink through to your mind, I mean to your heart. 
But the thing that keeps it from reaching our heart is the hardness of our mind. It can't be any different. It's got to. I've been told it was that way. You know, I've been told that whenever you die and you go to heaven, God's got a video of everything you've ever done in your life. And he's going to play it for the whole world to see. Don't that make you want to go? I don't think so. And we've got all these twisted ideas about what God is like. And he says, I want the veil removed. I want the perspective removed. And if you will turn fully to Christ, setting aside your perspective and coming to Christ and saying, I don't know, show me what I need to know. He will reveal his glory and he will reveal his goodness. That's the first part. But the second part is that he says to look at this like a mirror. And, and, you know, it kind of has thrown me for a long time because you don't see through a mirror. You only see what's there. But it dawned on me. The best picture I know of is the front glass on our building. When you walk up to the building, what do you see? You see who's in the building but you also see a reflection back from the glass. It's both. He says, I want you to behold the glory of God, and in doing so, there will be a reflection that reflects back to you that lets you behold the glory that God has put and done in you. I want you to see the glory of God in you that I've placed in you. I want you to see the completeness of the work that I have done in Christ in you. I want you to behold that. Now, in first in Psalms 145, if you have a little trouble with that understanding, in Psalms 145, verse 5, he says, Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Well, we think that means all these miracles God's performing. We think this means all the nature that God has created. And we think all the wonderful times God has saved. What about me? Am I a work of God? Am I a work of God? Am I something God has worked and done? Why can't I behold the glory of God that he has imparted to me? Now, before you think, oh, that's going to make you proud, you've got to understand You didn't have nothing to do with it. You got nothing to be proud about. It's all about God doing it in you. But there is a reflection back to what God has done in us, what he has made us to be, that I believe he wants us to behold. We have trouble with that. Because why? We have a hardened mind. And we look through Scripture, we see these words that says, in, in 2 Corinthians, let, let me read them to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, um, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. We look at ourselves and we say, God says, looks at me, and he says, you are a brand new creation. I look at that and say, not yet. Not so much. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a product of how I was raised. I still believe all the things my mother told me about myself. I still believe all the horrible things my dad told me about myself. 
And that shapes how I feel. That shapes how I respond. That shapes how I act. And it is a veil. It hardens my mind. And that hardened mind, that's the way it is. Can't be any different. Can't be any, any change in that. When that happens, it veils my heart. And I'm not able to see the glory that God has produced in me. And I don't understand living without fear. I don't understand living without shame. I don't understand living without guilt. Those things are completely foreign to me because I look and can't see the glory of the work that God's done in me. I look at that verse that says, I am accepted in the beloved in Ephesians 1.6. And my, my, my flesh immediately rises up and says, I so want to be this particular person. I so want to be liked by these particular people. I so want to be accepted by him. Can't get across the concept that we are accepted by God. It has nothing to do with our behavior, nothing to do with the way we dress, nothing to do with the way we perform, nothing to do with any of the religious activity in our life. It has to do with what Christ has done. He says in 1 Peter 2, we are a holy people, a holy priesthood. I want to read you that because it, was, it just really jumped in jumped out at me this morning as I was reading that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. When you think about yourself, is that what you think? I want you to understand, as we come to behold the glory of God, and we see his goodness, and we see his greatness, and we see his power at the same time reflected back to us is this awesome work God has done in us. We don't have to hang our head in the presence of anybody because of what God has done in our life. We don't have to stress about not being accepted by anybody. Let them wear that frown on their face. I love that deal I saw the other day. I'm not responsible for the way my face looks when you talk. I don't have to worry what anybody else's face looks like. I've got the face of the Father looking at me with a smile on his face. That ought to be enough. Now, here's the thing about it. As you use that illustration that I talked here when you walk up to the door, you see where the most light is expressed. What you see depends on where the most light is expressed. You come up at night, you know, all the lights are on. You see everybody inside here. You come up here and there may not be but one or two lights on, and you're going to see the reflection of yourself. What's the brightest in our life? Is the light of the glory of God brighter than any glory that the world could ever give us? Is the acceptance of the Father more pleasing and more satisfying than anybody else liking me? If it is, I'm going to see the glory of the goodness of God in what he's done to me. Look at this in 2 Peter. This is cool. You're a chosen race, a royal priest of the holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so you'll be healthy for the kingdom. Well, see, he says, so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the purpose for it. 
You were once a people, but not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not been, you, you you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wonderful stuff, isn't it? Man, if we could just, you know, if I could ever get a hold of that, I'd be just gliding on a glow coat heel shield. Well, that dated me, didn't it? And then he says, right in the middle of all that good stuff, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We've got this idea that if I'm right with God, if I am holy, if I am chosen, if I am a, a people for God's own possession, then I'm never going to blow it. He turns right around and says, yes, you're all that stuff, but I want you to encourage you not let the lust of the flesh rule in your life. Indicating the possibility that it can. Does that make me less chosen of God? No. I look in here and I see these things and, and uh, that, I am, I, that I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. I don't know about that, God. I don't feel blessed. I don't feel, whoa. Where'd that come from? That come from a hardened mind. That says, this is how you measure blessed, and you haven't measured up, God. I'm not driving a new car. I don't have a job. I don't have enough money. I don't have all this stuff. I'm not blessed. Look at all this mess in my life. And instead of going to the Father with those things and saying, Father... I don't understand. We immediately draw the conclusion that must not be true in my life. It might be true in your life. Yeah, I see that car you're driving. I see you're getting a paycheck every week. I see the house you're living in. You're blessed. I got all this. I'm not blessed. Instead of embracing him saying to me, I have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, I just don't know what that means. How am I going to find out? You're not going to find it out by just working it in your head. You will find it out by beholding him and allowing his glory to be reflected back into you that you can see how blessed you are in Christ Jesus and all that he's done. Scripture says, if you need wisdom, what do you do? Ask for it. You look at that verse and you say, I I don't know, I don't know. What, what, What does that mean? But we look at it and we say, that's not apparent in my life, so it must not be true for me. I must not be blessed. The picture that I'm referring to is in James chapter 1. He begins in verse 19. He says, This you know, my beloved, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility... Receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls.
Just because you receive, I believe, all the Bible. Listen, I do not want to teach you the Bible. I want to teach you Christ. What Paul say? You didn't learn Christ that way. He didn't say you didn't learn the Bible that way. He said you didn't learn Christ that way. Just because I mentally assent, yes, it's true, yes, it's true, it must be true, doesn't mean that it has the, carries with it the ability to change my life, to make me healthy. Something is involved. Look what he says. Putting, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. It has the ability to heal your soul. It ha- doesn't automatically mean it will. Look what he says. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Well, just because I've heard it, I believe it. Just because I believe it means it's, it's real in my life. Just because I mentally assent to it. Yes, I believe that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because I mentally assent that that's right. But he says there's something more. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. Now watch. We behold the glory of God. He reveals to us the glory that he's worked in us. I look at it. Yes, that's great. I agree with that. I believe that's true. I'll see you later. It has no influence on my life if that's all I do with it. It requires revelation by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to lead us into all reality, all truth. So when he reveals that to us, and we look at it and shake our head like a calf looking at a new gate, like, where would this come from? Stop. Ask him to reveal it to you. Ask him to show you how to work it into your life. Ask you how to get up from that time and walk away and be an expression of what he just said you are. Once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That sounds so much like us. We get all these things, and Steve's going to send this list out again of what I am in Christ and what I am in him. And, man, all of those are awesome. But if I go back and read those again and think I've got them because I read it, I promise you, under pressure, you're going to forget it. You're going to have to, oh, what did that thing say again? That verse, go where that verse? And that's how we get favorite verses. What's your favorite verse? Well, back in the 30s, I liked this verse, and that's all it ever gets. You know what your favorite verse ought to be? Whichever one God quickened to you this morning. That's the favorite one. That's where the life's at. But he says we hear it. We don't act on it. We don't allow him to make it real in our heart, and we walk away, and we forget it. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, 
not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And then he really gets nasty. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Wow. Well, our mouth declares what we really believe, what we really live out of. So here's what he's saying. The glory of God is expressed by his goodness, his graciousness, his compassion, his patience, his long-suffering, his quickness to forgive. The reflection is an expression of that goodness in what he's done in me. He was good to make me righteous. He was good to choose me. He was good to forgive me. All of those things express his goodness. And when they become real to us, when we allow him to make those revelation in our heart that all of that stuff isn't removed from us, but all of that stuff is worked out in us because of what he's done. When we see that, we will then bear that to the world because that's what we will become and what we will behold. Give him an opportunity to work what he has accomplished into my life. Don't let myself be veiled to who he is or veiled to who he has made me to be. And that veil comes from a mind that's set. It's fixed. I have always believed this. I believe it now. And I will always believe it. Says, you don't know God very well. Well, are you saying God changes? No. What I'm saying is God changes you. I'm saying that you don't have the full revelation of God about anything you think you believe. And to close my mind off, and not be open to God showing me something new, showing me something fresh about himself, about myself, is a hardened mind, and it will veil my heart and not be able to see the glory that's revealed in him. What do you know? Not much. What if all we knew is what God said, what God told us? Paul said, I refuse to speak of anything except that which he has accomplished in me. We would be expressing a whole lot fewer opinions that we're desperate for approval. We get on Facebook. We post something. I put that in. I put that in. Three minutes. Let's see who likes it. Check it out again. See how he Three likes. Looking for that approval. 
looking for that significance. It don't mean don't post things unless God leads you to do it, but it's not a source of approval. But we're desperate for that. We've been veiled to who he is. We're veiled to who he has made us. Seeing the glory of God in him, who he is inherently, and seeing the glory of God reflected back in us, who we are created to be at the new birth. He's made us a brand new person. Some of us are still hanging on to our old identity, trying to fit it in to a new father. It won't fit. God is not impressed. He's done it all, and it is enough. And he draws us. He says to me, I'm not asking you to fix yourself. I'm not asking you to work on yourself. I'm asking you to come to me and admit that you can't fix yourself. Admit that you can't work on yourself. Surrender yourself to me. Abide in my presence, and I will bear my fruit through you. That's what he's asking, that we love him. So, Father, we ask you send your spirit in a fresh new way. Begin to give us revelation, first of all, of who you are. Let us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Second of all, in what you've done in us. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are a holy people, a royal nation, a people after God's own possession. You picked us. Let us show us, work that in us, that we know how to walk in it in the world that you've placed us in, to make a difference, to be that light, to be that salt to a world that is rotten to the core today. But I thank you that we don't have to live there. We don't have to take our cues from there. We take our cues from your goodness. You've got it. We praise you for being so good to us. Jesus' name.